0: Jesus sent out his disciples. He sent out his followers. He sent them out two by two. He sent them to preach. He sent them with power. He sent them with authority. He sent them in his name. Now, due in part to the disciples' ministry, word about Jesus spread. More and more people heard about Jesus, and those who heard were faced with the question, the question that they had. To answer. Now, it's the same question that untold numbers of people down through the centuries all around the world have had to answer. It's a question that you have had to answer. Or if you haven't, you will. In fact, it is the question. For freedom and bondage, life and death, salvation and damnation, heaven and hell hinge on the answer and belief in the answer. And the question is this, Who is Jesus? In our passage, some answered that he was Elijah. As in Elijah, the great Old Testament prophet who never died, but rather was taken to heaven in a chariot of fire. Now, some thought Jesus was Elijah returned. Others said he was a prophet, not Elijah, but like Elijah or Isaiah or Micah or Nahum. How do you answer the question? Who is Jesus? Is he the greatest teacher to ever live? Was he simply an itinerant Jewish philosopher, a misunderstood prophet, a great healer, a political revolutionary? Or is he God? The Lord. Is he God entering space and time and history in person? God becoming what you are, flesh and blood, so that you might know him. God becoming what you are to serve you, taking your place, dying so that you might have forgiveness of sin and life, life here and now, and life eternally with him. Who is Jesus? He is Lord, He is Savior. So how do you answer? And, and more importantly, do you believe? Do you claim him? Do you follow? Well, King Herod heard about Jesus. Now, now, there are four Herods in the New Testament. This particular Herod is the second one mentioned. He is Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas's father was Herod the Great. Herod the Great was king when Jesus was born. Herod the Great was visited by the wise men, the magi, who followed the star seeking the newborn king. Now this ruthless king, King Herod, his family tree was rather twisted. And our passage today gives you just a taste of it. When King Herod died, four of his sons divided and ruled the land and they kept the name Herod as their own. The four Herods were half-brothers. King Herod had ten wives. Now Antipas, the Herod in our passage, was the son of King Herod's fourth wife. The four sons were not officially kings. Their title was Tetrarch, which means ruler of a fourth. However, Herod Antipas, as seen in our passage, was popularly referred to as king. And it was a title that he neither corrected nor disputed. Antipas ruled Galilee. Galilee is the area where Jesus spent most of his ministry, where where most of the action of Mark's gospel has taken place thus far. Now, Herod Antipas was not as able a ruler as his father, but he was just as ruthless. Herod Antipas heard about Jesus, and he had an answer to the question, who is Jesus? Listen to verse 16 again. John, whom I have beheaded, has been raised. Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist. John was the prophet living in the wilderness. John was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus, to preach, to call to repentance, to baptize. Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. And perhaps his Answer was influenced in part by his guilty conscience because he had put John to death. Even though John was innocent, even though John was guilty of no crime, he was tragically beheaded. And here's why. Herodias. Herodias was Herod Antipas' wife. But, hang in there with me, she was also his niece. Herodias was the daughter of Antipas' half-brother, but she was also his sister-in-law. Her first husband was Herod Philip, another son of Herod the Great, another Tetrarch, and another half-brother to Antipas. So because of his desire for his sister-in-law slash niece, Herod Antipas divorced his wife, a divorce which later caused a war that became his ultimate downfall, and Herodias in turn left her husband and married Antipas. I told you the tree was twisted. Well, God's law was very clear about this relationship. The book of Leviticus, chapter 18, verse 16 states this You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. In other words, you can't marry your brother's wife. So knowing this, John the Baptist spoke out against this marriage. John the Baptist preached against this marriage. John the Baptist called Herod to repentance for this marriage. Now, Herod, on his own, might have ignored the words of John, not caring what this popular preacher preached. But Herodias didn't. Herodias did not want this wild man in the desert criticizing her, criticizing her marriage, speaking out against her. How dare he? She wanted him dead. So because of his wife, Herodias, Herod arrested John. Herod threw John in prison, but he wouldn't kill him. Kept him safe. Why? Because he feared him. He feared John, and not just because he was popular, Herod feared because he knew John was righteous. He knew John was holy. He knew he was a prophet. He knew he was a man of God. In fact, Herod brought John out of prison into his presence to hear him, to speak with them. Our passage says he gladly heard John. So on the one hand, he feared him. On the other hand, he was fascinated. And we're not told about that they conversations, but surely John continued to uphold God's word, God's law, call Herod to repentance. Surely John told Herod of the coming Messiah, the one sent by God that was mightier than he who would baptize in the Holy Spirit, Jesus. But we're told John's words left Herod perplexed. Now, in the imagery of the parable of the sower, Herod was the hard ground. Herod was the path. The, the seed was sown and there was no growth. In fact, the seed didn't even make it into the ground. The birds snatched it up. So while Herod feared and was fascinated, Herodias nursed her grudge against John. She still wanted him dead. Herodias was just like the queen in our Old Testament reading from 1 Kings, Jezebel. Married to King Ahab, Jezebel was the queen of Israel. However, Jezebel was not an Israelite. She was not one of God's people. She was the daughter of the king of the neighboring Sidonians. And the neighboring Sidonians worshipped an idol, a false god named Baal. So after he married Jezebel... Ahab built an altar to Baal, a temple to Baal, brought in priests to lead in worship of Baal. Such actions, of course, encourage God's people to worship an idol, and the Lord was not pleased. The Lord sent a prophet. The Lord sent the prophet Elijah to preach against Ahab and Jezebel, to call out their wicked idolatry, to call God's people to repentance, to faith in him and him alone. And Elijah's ministry was successful. So successful, in fact, he had to run for his life. Flee. Why? Because Jezebel wanted him dead. Herodias wanted John dead. All she needed was an opportune time, and that time came on the occasion of Herod's birthday. And to celebrate his birthday, Herod gave a banquet. He gave a party. The guest list of the party included all the movers and shakers of Galilee, wealthy nobles, Roman military commanders, high government officials. And at some time during the dining and the drinking, the consuming and the carousing, the daughter of Herodias entered. Now, this was not Herod's daughter, but it was Herodias' daughter by her first husband, Herod's brother, which made her Herod's niece. And also his grandniece, because her mother was his niece. That twisted tree again. This young girl, not quite of the age to marry, entered and danced before this room of feasting, drinking men. And the dance so pleased the guest and so pleased Herod that caught up in the moment, he makes a vow. Makes an oath. And that oath was probably aided by the atmosphere and the alcohol. And he makes this oath in front of all the movers and shakers of Galilee, the wealthy noblemen, the Roman military commanders, the government officials. And listen to the words again that he speaks to his niece. Verse 23, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Now, certainly Herod was exaggerating. He couldn't divide his kingdom. He couldn't give up part of his kingdom. The the governing Roman authorities would have something to say about that. But he does offer, the point is clear. He offers an open door, he offers a blank check. Offer a dance. Now, this young girl immediately goes to ask her mother's advice. And Herodias, seeing the open door, Herodias, seeing the blank check, seizes the opportunity. This is the moment she has waited for with this prophet who dared criticize her. Her husband was trapped and she knew it, and so she tells her daughter, the head of John the Baptist. Well, the young girl re-enters the hall and approaches Herod, and surely, the laughter and the conversation of the party died down. Surely, all eyes turned to Herod and his niece slash great-niece. Everyone heard the vow. Everyone had the same question. What will she ask? I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And with these words, the atmosphere of the party changes. With these words, the disposition of Herod changes. We're told he was sorry. He regretted his oath. Regretted his vow. He did not want John dead, but he was trapped. And he knew it. So this birthday party, the celebration, ends with a gruesome scene, a platter with the head. And so the last Old Testament prophet, the one sent to preach, to baptize, to prepare the way for Jesus, is put to death because of a dance, is put to death because of a half-drunk vow after a dance, is put to death because of the hatred of one in power. And John's followers came and they laid his body in a tomb. Well, John the Baptist continues his ministry in death just as he did in life. John the Baptist's ministry in life was to point to Jesus and his death points to Jesus. Just listen to the parallels. John was executed at the hands of a tyrant who feared him, but was also fascinated by him. A tyrant who did not think he deserved death, but was moved by those around him. John died an innocent man. So did Jesus at the hands of Pontius Pilate. A tyrant who feared and was fascinated by him. A tyrant who found no guilt in him, but gave him up to the mob to be crucified. And Jesus' followers laid him in a tomb. Now listen, listen to the last verse of our passage again. This is verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Jesus sent his followers, his disciples, here called apostles, the, the original, his original 12 followers that he called, and he sent them two by two, and now they come back. Now they return. The story of the death of John the Baptist is sandwiched in the middle of Jesus sending out, uh, out his disciples. It interrupts it. Now, this is a literary device we've seen three times now in Mark, and it's called a Mark and Sandwich. The story that interrupts the second story that splits the first story into two parts is like the meat of a sandwich. The second story serves to interpret the first story, helps you understand the first story, illuminates the first story. So Jesus sends his followers out. Now, if answering the question, who is Jesus, you follow him, he sends you out. He sends you out in his name. He sends you out to show his love. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, your life's to point to Jesus. And the second story shows the cost of following Jesus. The cost of being sent out in his name. And that cost is your life. John's ministry pointed to Jesus and he was put to death. The disciples' ministry, the apostles' ministry was to point to Jesus and many of them were put to death. So how about you? Have you counted the cost? If you follow Jesus, have you counted the cost? Are you willing to die for the one who died for you? Are you willing to give up everything for the one who gave his life for you? You may may never have to, but would you? Is he your greatest good? Do you prize him and do you prize his glory above all else? If not, what are you holding on to? Search your heart, what are you holding on to? Search your heart, what do you prize above your savior? What are you afraid of losing? Your life? Later in Mark's gospel in chapter eight, Jesus speaks these words. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Christianity is not a comfortable faith. Following Jesus is not comfortable. Dying to self is not comfortable. Having your sin brought to light for confession and forgiveness and transformation is not comfortable. Taking up your cross is not comfortable. Being willing to follow Jesus into difficult places and situations to point to him, to show his love and grace is not comfortable. To obey his word above all other words is not comfortable. The cost is high. But it was no less for him. As he sends you out, as you go, as you count the cost, know that he went before you and he went into suffering and death, but he conquered. Jesus is alive for you. And the path that he sends you on, even through death, leads to him. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi.